I want to say thank you so much for the faith that you've demonstrated in God, especially in your giving. We've surpassed our Lottie Moon Christmas goal by more than $3,000, and then we've had the highest undesignated receipts uh, that we can tell in the history of our church for 2017. And that's going to help us multiply our missions ministry and giving, and I think God deserves a clap offering today. With that, join me in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, where I want to speak to you today about overcoming the insult of average. Hebrews 11, but also Genesis chapter 4. Hebrews 11 and Genesis chapter 4. Plato said that the one common theme in all choices in life, uh, at least for most people, is the desire to escape pain. It may be the pain of inconvenience, and therefore dishwashers were created. It may be the pain of giving too much time to meal preparation, therefore refrigeration and canning. It may be the pain of long, slow journeys, therefore the automobile was created. Most of the conveniences we have in life and the choices we make in life uh, and the inventions we enjoy in life, the developments we enjoy in life are a desire to escape some kind of pain. Sometimes great pain or little pain, uh, can, it, it, that can be the case. Now, it has occurred to me in thinking uh, about this, and I don't think about Plato often, trust me, but uh, in thinking about this, it has occurred to me there are really three ways to live. There's a foolish way, uh, a foolish way uh, to begin with, then there's an excellent way to live, and then third, there is an average way to live. Those first two probably will involve some pain. If you choose a foolish way, you're going to suffer. If you choose the way of excellence, you'll suffer as well for the sake of excellence. The one way in life that does not involve some kind of pain is probably average. Average. In fact, the average life is a desire to escape pain. John Maxwell said, people love average. Average doesn't require much more than showing up. Average gets you through life with minimal fuss, which makes it very appealing to some folks. Now, Jesus warned about average. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, at least the average of the crowd, where he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are those who go by it. That's what Jesus had to say about the average. Now, in Genesis 4 and Hebrews 11, Abel offered God something more than the average. He offered God a better sacrifice than Cain, his brother, because he trusted God. Read with me in Genesis chapter 4, uh, beginning in um, verse number 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance falling? And if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, 
that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood and from your hand. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 4, is a commentary on this story. Just one verse from Hebrews 11. It says there in verse number 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Abel offered a better offering. It was better in quality. He brought that which was most precious to him. He brought an offering of blood to God. Now, there are many commentators that will tell you we have no idea that that's why God accepted it, but it falls within the first five books of the Old Testament where blood sacrifice is emphasized. And that was more precious to Cain, it was, uh, excuse me, Abel, and it was more precious to God as well. Life is in the blood, and that makes perfectly good sense. Uh, that God would say that through Moses and Leviticus repeatedly. And that is, whenever blood is spilled, life ebbs and flows away with it. And so that's what Abel ended up bringing to God. He ended up bringing a sacrifice of blood. It was better in quality, but Abel was also better in spirit. He had done well. He had a more faithful attitude, a more generous attitude towards God and His worship and His obligation before God far more than Cain did. So God respected Abel's offering, what he brought to God. He disregarded Cain's offering uh, instead. But, but that's, not, uh, that's not all. Um, usually, relationships and history do not make sharp turns. Usually, most relationships in history go through developments. Uh, that's when they're good and, and even when they're bad. Um, usually it takes more than one offense to sour a relationship. Usually brothers do not go from happiness to murder with just one, th- with one event. I suspect that Abel knew that Cain was bothered with him. Cain was too serious about God. Cain was too willing to show up. Uh, uh, Abel was too willing to show up the inadequacy of Cain's walk with God by giving an offering of blood instead of an offering of the field, of vegetables and produce, as Cain was doing. And through the years, apparently, uh, Cain grew more and more aggravated with Abel. And Abel, sensing this, still gave this offering that would embarrass and show up the inadequacies of Cain, and he gave it anyway. He had a better spirit, a better offering, a better attitude towards God. And God respected the better, the beyond average, that Abel gave over and above what Cain gave. You, in fact, can offer God better than average when, like Abel, you trust God. So this morning, I want to speak on overcoming the insult of average with a better-than-average faith. And what does a better-than-average faith do? Well, in the first place, a better-than-average faith will stab. It will stab you. Now, I've got certain salesmen that I will listen to and others that I am very skeptical of. I'm probably not much different than you are. 
I appreciate salesmen, and I know some, that will attempt to sell a product, and they will be very, very clear with me about the upside and about the downside of that particular choice. I actually have known some salesmen through the years that have talked me out of a purchase. I, I know uh, car mechanics that way as well. And I happen to like those kinds of people because they're looking out for me more than others. They won't exaggerate the upside and they will not neglect the downside. And I need to say in that way, God Almighty is the same way. God Almighty is the same way. When God sells the faith, He's very, very clear. In fact, reminds me of the salesman, insurance salesman, who was trying to sell a policy to a man. And the man was far too analytical for his taste and asked too many questions. And the salesman, the insurance salesman said, well, look, uh, do this. Take this policy, read it overnight, examine all the details, and if you wake up in the morning, call me. <laughs> That's how he tried to sell his policy. Listen, God, in, uh, in His way, in communicating the values of the faith and the necessity and the urgency of the faith, of trusting Christ and following Him, He is the kind of God that does not exaggerate the upside, which is really nearly impossible, nor does He neglect the downside. Whenever God communicates the faith, He is real. He's very honest about the cost. And that's what we find here in the text. That's what we find in Genesis 4, in fact. God is very real about the better and beyond average faith of Abel. It got Abel killed. In fact, it stabbed him. The text says in verses 8 through 11 that Cain rose up, and that's what you would have to do to stab someone, and he spilled Abel's blood on the ground doesn't say he used a sharp object at all, I understand that, but to spill blood on the ground, it seems to me that there was a stabbing that took place. Now, I want you to contemplate this. Cain and Abel had the same parents. Cain and Abel had the same environment. Cain and Abel had the same religion. Cain and Abel had the same opportunities, and yet Cain became Cain, and Abel became Abel. Abel pleased God with a beyond average faith. Cain displeased God and murdered his brother. Same parents, same environment, same religion, same instruction, and yet Abel became Abel, and Cain became Cain. Ladies and gentlemen, let me make it very, very clear to you. The choices that adults make depend less on environment and upbringing than it does their own choices. And some of you adults need to get a monkey off your back. Uh, you've got adult children that are disappointing you. Well, let me make it clear to you. You and I, as parents, are responsible for how we parent. That's on us. But when our kids become adults, that's on them. I know, I know, you've tried the hardest that you could, and uh, they listened as if they didn't have two ears. I understand that. I understand that. And you poured your soul out. You poured your heart out before God. You've done everything that you could. Listen, I know, I know kids that are adult children that are living for God and walking with Him who had the worst parents in the world. I mean, they're the genetic descendants, it seems, of Cain. And then I know some of the sweetest and most godly parents in the world who produce rotten kids, God the Father being first among them. See? So get that monkey off your back. The truth is, is that you can have this phenomena in a marriage. I mean, the husband and wife, 
They live for, to, together as husband and wife for decades. They come to the same church, attend the same Sunday school class, and uh, have the same spiritual opportunities. And yet, one of them grows, and the other one does not. You can have that with siblings. Same home, same Christian experience, same church experience, the same camps, the same mission trips, the same activities, the same opportunity, and one kid follows God, and the other one acts like a descendant of Cain. And you can have that in churches. I mean, uh, attending the same church through the years, same sermons, same opportunities, same speakers, same exhortations, and yet one will follow God and the other doesn't. It depends more on the choice that we give to God. So some choose the average, others choose to be distinct. And listen to me, when you become distinct and you give to God something, a faith beyond the average, someone's going to notice and they're not going to appreciate it. Some descendant of Cain will rise up and may complain about you. That may happen in your family. They'll just be annoyed with you. That may happen at work. That may happen in your neighborhood. That, that may happen just about anywhere because you have distinguished yourself. You didn't mean to. You're just trying to give God your best, your best faith. Yet you have distinguished yourself and they are terribly annoyed. I need to let you know up front. If you are going to give God a better than average faith, be ready to pay a price. I wish it weren't that way, but that is the case. It's true on a global level. One out of 12 Christians around the world is suffering severe persecution. It's true on a national level. 38% of liberals would remove, educated liberals would remove civil rights from Bible-believing Christians now if they could. Thank God 60% wouldn't, but 38% indeed would. That happens on a personal level as well. When you distinguish yourself by walking with God, there may be some that rise up that stab you with words, that stab you by denying opportunities, uh, some that may stab you by distancing themselves from you in a relationship, and some that may disturb your peace and stab your peace with conflict. Potentially, there is a cost. And if you just can't stand to pay a price for Jesus Christ and giving Him the best, I've got to say to you, the Christian faith is not for you. C.S. Lewis was uh, addressed one time in a letter from a lady asking, what is the most comfortable religion? He said, I guess the religion of worshiping yourself would be the most comfortable. He said, I didn't come to Christianity to be comfortable. If you're looking for a comfortable religion, I do not suggest the Christian faith. It will completely change everything about you because it is of God. And God loves you too much to leave you where you are. And God will prod you. He will prompt you. He will poke you. He will prick you until He changes you into the image of Jesus Christ no matter what the rest of the world thinks. Because quite frankly, God is not taking votes on His values. He is a king. He is not establishing a democracy. That's the best government among men and women as sinners that we've got today. We've got wild accountability in that. But God doesn't need that. He doesn't establish democracies. God establishes theocracies and monarchies around His Son. And so if you're going to follow Him, you've got to know, you'll probably pay a price. Better than average faith will stab, but then better than average faith will save. Most people, getting right with God is a terrible mystery. 
I dare say they're 90% of the people I talk with and have talked with through the years believe that their own virtue and works can save them. This is a persistent theme of the Bible, therefore it should be a persistent theme in pulpits. But most people think that they're good enough, virtuous enough, to be right with God on their own. And they don't realize the desperate need they have to turn to Christ in humility and plead with God to be merciful and to save them. Uh, In other words, where they get their information from is primarily from the crowd. Chapter 11, verse 4 will disabuse us of that notion. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. Well, there are two things here. Whenever someone in desperation, in humility, turns to Jesus Christ, God gives two gifts. One is an eternal vertical gift, and that is the gift of righteousness. What God does with the sinner who comes desperately and humbly before God for mercy is that he transfers that person from a status of guilty and condemned to a status of righteousness. He puts that individual in a class of acceptance. That's what he does. And so all the guilt and all the shame and all the embarrassment and all the favor, uh, um, all the failure that has attended them through the years, that weighs on their conscience, that breaks their hearts, when they turn to God, a marvelous miracle happens. Their status before God radically changes. And God transforms them into something new in His sight. Oh, they're going to struggle for the rest of their lives until they see Jesus. I I understand that. But forever and forever and forever, they live with the gift of a righteous status before God because Jesus Christ has shared His own righteousness with them. Hey, that's enough to make me want to give my life to Christ all over again. How about you? That's the first gift. So let me say, When you make a serious faith commitment to Jesus Christ, you may not be safe with other people, but you'll always be safe with God. Always will. That's the first gift. A a eternal, vertical gift of righteousness. But then the second gift that God gives is a personal, horizontal gift of confirmation. God confirms that you've actually come to Christ. Now, that spiritual transaction that takes place when you receive that gift of righteousness, you never see that happen. I mean, that's beyond your view. That's beyond your vision. But it's not beyond your experience. God makes it clear that He Himself will testify and confirm that you have been made right with Him by changing your life. That's what He'll do. And He'll walk with you. And He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you a new heart. And He directs you because you belong to Him. There's a new obedience. There's a new love. There's a new victory over the world is what happens whenever you come to Jesus Christ. And that is the work of God. And and there are things that come into your life that are far beyond what you could ever produce. I mean, I'm still stunned about the change that came in my life when Jesus came into my heart. I'm still stunned. I turned to Jesus when I was 16 years old, and I still haven't got over it. I am amazed that He came into my life and made the changes He did. The night I got saved, or the next night I opened the Bible, and all of a sudden I understood it. It was a closed book beforehand. I mean, I could pass my eyes over the words, but I I didn't understand. And, And not only that, 
I not only understood it, but I began to see solutions to the problems I was facing. In my heart also, I was compelled to forgive some people. Listen, we never talked about those kinds of things. I was never taught to forgive anyone. It just wasn't a category of thinking. You pretended like a problem didn't happen or you were entirely wrong and they were entirely right and you went off in guilt and shame and anger. But to forgive someone was something new to me. I read it in the Bible and the Spirit of God prompted me to forgive someone. And in my senior year, he and I became best friends. And he did me really, really wrong. He did. And he apologized for it. And we became best friends. And then I began to tell other people what happened to me. I couldn't help it. I'd been changed. I was the same, uh, had the same body, but there was a new person living inside. And then I prayed and began to talk to God, and I was close to him. I'd never felt close to God. And from that point into this day, God began to guide me with the decisions of life. Anytime I have surrendered my decisions to God, great or small, He has always guided. I haven't been perfect in following Him, but I will tell you, He began to guide me with what I was to do with my life and where I was to go to school and who I was to marry and how to raise my children. One in particular, we had to make a lot of decisions and we felt oftentimes we were taking a leap into the dark when in fact, because He guided us, we were stepping into the light every day time. Oh, what a marvelous thing it is to know Jesus Christ. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came in to my heart. There is light in my soul for which long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. In other words, God is confirmed, God is confirmed through the personal and the horizontal what took place eternally, vertically before God. He made me right with Him and has demonstrated it by changing my life. And that's what verse number 4 says. That's what verse number 4 says. He made Abel righteous by faith, and then witnessed in some way that Abel was righteous before him. Now God makes these gifts available to sinners in one of two ways. One of two ways. One is perfection. If you want to be made right with God, you've got to be perfect from birth until now and until death. Now, just in case you lack perfection, there's faith. It reminds me of the woman who said about her husband, um, she said, my husband and I disagree theologically. He thinks he's God and I disagree with him. Let me say, well, watch yourself. Let me say, if you're not perfect, if you're not perfect, you need to have a sense of desperation and urgency before God this morning. The only thing then that can get you right with God on your part is to place complete faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what God will do. You come before God, and let's just imagine a conversation. And God says, are you perfect? You say, well, no, Lord, I'm not. You know I'm not. Well, what do you have to give to me? Lord, all I can do is trust your promise that if I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. And if I call on the name of the Lord, I'll be saved. That, Lord, that's all I've got to give, that trust and that faith in your promises to sinners like me. And God says, okay, you don't have perfection, but you've got faith. I'll take your faith as if it is perfection. That's what God 
does. If you don't have perfection, you do have faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, and you call on God, God takes that as perfection, all that you need. And then He transfers the righteousness of Christ to you and the guilt of you to Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is still the Savior. He's still the Savior. And He's willing to do that today. So at the end of this message, we'll sing a song, and our staff will be here, and we'll invite you to give your heart and life to Christ. And if you'll do it by faith, God will take you. So the better-than-average faith will stab you. It will save you. But there's a third thing that it will do as well, and that is it will speak. It will speak. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.1, Solomon said, He's placed eternity into our hearts. There's something in every human soul that wonders about what happens after the grave. They wonder, what happens to me spiritually, eternally? And, and what happens to my legacy? Everyone wants to leave a legacy. It has occurred to me that many of the great preachers I knew in the 80s and 90s are no longer spoken of. I mean, I could walk into a crowd of those younger than me, and they would not know the name W.A. Criswell, who defined preaching after World War II into the 90s. There are many that would not recognize the name Adrian Rogers. They wouldn't. Who defined preaching in the 90s and up until about 2006 or 7 when he passed away. They would not know. But you know what? Even being dead today, they still speak to those who knew them. I constantly hear stories about those two men. Well, that's what happened with Abel. He being dead still speaks. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness from God that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Well, Abel's speaking to us today, is he not? Abel is urging us and exhorting us to give a better than average faith to God and to give him the kind of offering that God desires. This is what God does. He being dead still speaks. Robert Moffat, the New Testament commentator, said, death is never the last word for a righteous man. So just like Abel, you can have continuing relevance and a powerful, long-lasting voice if by faith you will excel beyond average in what you give to God. So leave something behind. Build a legacy by giving to God something Beyond the average faith. Live for Christ in a way to where you have to have faith to live that way for Him. Work by faith and interact with the lost world by faith and pray in faith and forgive in faith and give in faith everything you do. Stretch yourself to the point where your teeth chatter, your knees knock because you have placed yourself purposely in a position where you've got to live by faith. And when you do that, even when you're dead, you will still speak. Now, have you ever noticed how many people who pursue other priorities are dissatisfied with the average? Bodybuilders are dissatisfied with the average-looking body. Olympic athletes are dissatisfied with the average athletic performance. Professional complainers, well, you know, Baseball players and professional athletes. I think about Willie Mays who said, it's, uh, it's not very hard to be good every once in a while in sports. What's tough is being good every day. And he was 
over a very long career. Wayne Gretzky, probably the greatest hockey player ever, said that he achieved what he did and excelled in hockey because I skate to where the puck is going to be, not to where it has been. And then Pat Riley, the uh, president of the Miami Heat and former coach of the Lakers with multiple NBA championships, said, excellence is the gradual result of always striving to do better. The reason these fellows have done so much more than everyone else is they were dissatisfied with the average when it came to their priorities. And I wonder when, oh, when are those with a superior cause in Christ going to be dissatisfied with average faith? and give God something more than what the world gives to their priorities. In fact, this morning, the average person around the nation and the world that is in a worship service like this, where we offer an invitation, will not respond. You be above average. You settle your spiritual and eternal issues today in just a moment when we start to sing. Listen, if you'll reject a life out of Jesus Christ and repudiate it and resist it and say, no, it's not going to be that way anymore. I'm changing my mind. And you'll embrace Jesus Christ and trust Him alone. God will give you those two gifts today. He'll make you right with Him and confirm it personally and horizontally in your relationships in life. Our staff will be here in the front to receive you. We'd be glad to pray with you about it. I want us to pray right now, and then we'll sing, and you can come.